Welcome to Practice That, podcasts for the practice manager. Today's Tuesday, the 16th of November, 2021. I'm Ann Davis with RACGP, and with me today is Tracy Gardner. She's here to talk to us about occupational violence prevention, specifically a manager's guide to upskilling staff. Tracy is a senior trainer with Health Industry Employment Services. She has a strong health background as a registered nurse, specialising in emergency nursing and mental health. She has postgraduate qualifications in mental health and training, which really makes her a valuable person to talk to about occupational violence. Tracy, thank you so much for joining Practice That. Hi Anne, thank you so much for having me. So we've been aware of aggressive situations in major hospitals for a while. You know, we've heard about it and perhaps seen it on the media. But the prevalence of aggressive behaviours in private medical practices has really historically been quite variable. I understand that this has been changing over the last 18 months. Yes, and it certainly appears that way. We know it's well documented that the health industry is the most violent industry in Australia. And, you know, there's been a big focus around the major hospitals, the mental health departments and emergency departments. However, there has been a massive increase in occupational violence in all medical services that we've seen in the last 18 months or so since COVID has landed on our doorstep. So George from HIS was getting a lot of calls from practice managers with a lot of issues relating to aggression, particularly verbal aggression in medical practices. And so I got a call from George and he asked me if we could run some training to help the staff out with their communication skills and to talk about what's going on at the moment with COVID. And when I deliver the training, a lot of feedback that I'm getting from the practice staff is that people are coming in with a lot of the aggression that is coming towards them is from people regarding, you know, not wearing a mask or having to wear a mask, what injection, what vaccination they're going to get. And the fact that, you know, they haven't disclosed that they have got an illness or or a cold at that time. So tell me, what is occupational violence? And, And I guess, why is it important for us to focus on it? So occupational violence is when an employee is abused, threatened or assaulted from circumstances arising out of their employment. And when I deliver this training, the first thing I ask people is, who's experienced occupational violence in their workplace? And not many people actually raise their hands. And when we discuss what occupational violence actually is, I then ask the same question and almost everybody in the group puts up their hands. And I think a lot of people think that occupational violence is around verbal aggression. You know, luckily with medical practice, there is a lot less risk of verbal aggression. But, you know, there is a high number of verbal abuse and harassment. And it's becoming a lot more common as we've just discussed. So when we're looking at verbal abuse, the types of verbal abuse that I hear, the feedback that I'm getting from the practice managers is, you know, yelling, swearing and rudeness, a bit of sexual harassment and inappropriate comments, some racial vilification, but a lot of feedback I'm getting is around telephone aggression. And, you know, we know that aggression in any form can impact us and affect us in many ways. How has it been impacting receptionists? What are the practice managers reporting about the impact on receptionists? 
Well, I had one receptionist say to me after I had done the talk and she came up to me and she said, oh, I feel so relieved that you're talking to us about this and that other people are going through it too and it's not just me. She said, I haven't been here that long and I was straight from school and when I came to this job, I was so excited and I was wanting to change the world and I had so much confidence and I just thought everyone was lovely and I wanted to help people out. And I've really felt like I've lost my confidence my communication skills and I know that you know when I go home to my family members and my my flatmates they say that in the last 18 months you know I've been quite difficult to deal with I realized that I had a lot of anxiety so that's difficult for those staff members and I remember you saying that some of the other impacts are a general low morale and some managers reporting high sick leave and even resignations so it is showing that Occupational violence is having quite a significant impact on our medical practices. I guess what would be really useful is to hear from you is how can managers help their staff to deal with occupational violence? Exactly, and there's so much I can talk about. We could be here for hours. So what I've done is I've broken it down into three parts. The first thing we look at when we're looking at occupational violence prevention is how do we prevent something from happening in the first place? What control measures can we put in place to decrease the likelihood of someone becoming aggressive? And they're quite simple things, actually, like treating patients with dignity and respect. And time and time again, I've seen the way people communicate and then they wonder why other people are getting upset. But it's the way that that we sometimes communicate or the way that people might perceive they're being treated disrespectfully. I guess that's the speak to someone in the way that you would like to be spoken to. Exactly. Building rapport as well with people. And I know practice managers and medical receptionists don't have a lot of time to build rapport, but it doesn't take a lot of time to build rapport with someone. Just by simply using somebody's name or asking if there's anything that you know you can do to help them, that goes a long way to build that rapport with, with somebody. And sometimes just even the smile. Exactly. Yep. Facial expressions is a big one, smiling at people. Also meeting the needs of our patients to the best of your ability. And sometimes it's about listening to what they have to say first and meeting those needs. Because sometimes we perceive that, oh, this person needs this. And then we're wondering why we can't talk to them and they're getting angry with us because we haven't actually listened to what they want and helped them in that area. Okay, so what I'm hearing there is identification of the patient's needs. Exactly. And if you're not sure then summarise and paraphrase and ask them, is this what you are wanting from me? And if they say no, then usually you'll get the answer, no, no, I'm trying to say this. And then you can go, oh, okay, okay, well, let's work together to help you get to that point. Personal safety equipment as well is, is a big one. So for practice managers to think about what sort of personal safety equipment that they have in their medical practices. And most people say that they do have alarm systems. And that's great to have the alarm systems. There's lots of different types. Some people have really, you know, flash ones where they're on the the monitors and the doctors can push the button so the patients don't even know and it might even go to, you know, the police. But other people have said to me, look, we don't have all that type of equipment. So we go to Bunnings, we get a doorbell and that works just quite fine. And the other point I want to make about personal safety equipment is to ensure that your staff know it's there and how to use it. And I think that's a big one because one of the very first talks I did, 
the practice manager said, yes, we have an alarm system and no one in the whole practice knew where the alarm button was. Yeah, it was quite amazing really. So make sure people know where it is and how to use it. The last point I want to make in prevention is crime prevention through environmental design. So that's actually just setting up your workplace to be as safe as practical. And something simple can stop somebody from being aggressive. So think about your reception areas. Are they set up to be as comfortable as possible for patients? So not overcrowding. A lot of people turn their chairs that the patients sit on towards a TV where they can hear some lovely music or something relaxing rather than gurgling or eyeballing the poor reception staff because they're having to wait so long. Also, you know, are these screens up at the reception desk? And I know that with COVID, a lot of people do have screens now, which is quite a positive thing. But are there doors at the side of the counter so people can't get through into the back of the counters, things like that? Is there things on the counter that you don't need? Like a lot of people have the plastic brochure holders, and I have seen this used as a weapon before against the nursing staff. So just if you don't need clutter and things there, it's best not to have them. So I'm just sort of thinking about what you've been talking about in prevention of occupational violence. The key points are identifying the needs of the patients. So you're creating that relationship and an effective relationship. The next thing is to think about the personal safety equipment what you've got, but then also making sure that the staff are trained. And then the last one in that section I think is really important. I hadn't even thought about things that could be used as weapons. So think about the design and the layout. Excellent. So that's prevention. And then communication skills obviously is a big one when we're talking to people. So understanding your own communication styles and do I de-escalate people or do I seem to trigger people and escalate people? And it's about really reflecting on your own communication styles. We need to validate people. So when people are upset, instead of telling them to calm down, you need to say, you know, I can see why you're upset. I can see that you're upset. And then that gives them that rapport and they go, okay, this person can see that I'm upset because I just want you to know that they're angry or upset and to be able to help them out. And body language is so huge, I can't express it enough. So when we're looking at body language, 55% of what we're communicating to someone is perceived through our body language. 38% is through our tone of voice. And only 7% of what we say is actually heard from the person. So we can use that knowledge to go, okay, when I'm talking to someone, how is my body language? Is it signaling non-aggression? Because we know that when some people are upset and scared, we can actually clench our fists or cross our arms to protect ourselves but it actually comes across aggressive to the other person. So we've got to be very careful about how body language is and our tone of voice as well. So those communication skills are, are things that managers can you know, just ensure that the team think about them and practice them. Exactly. And I can't stress enough too that practicing scenarios gives them confidence actually when they practice it. They go, oh, wait, that did actually work. So when they do get out there and people are aggressive towards them, you can see their confidence and they're like, no, I've got this. I know how to de-escalate. So the third point I want to talk about is practice managers creating a culture of safety and support. So the staff need to feel that their safety is important to the employer and the manager. And, you know, offering the occupational violence training, debriefing, 
support and having a culture of no blame is a really good way of helping staff feel confident and that they're in a really safe workplace. It's really important that they feel that if they bring a concern, a safety concern, that it's going to be taken seriously. And it's really good if someone brings you a concern of safety, sit down with them, work out you know, what makes them feel unsafe, what they think control measures and strategies would be to put in place to make them feel safer, and then put those in place and then reevaluate and just make sure that they're working and that staff member does feel safe and secure in their workplace. And I think too, what you're saying about building that culture by involving the team in identification of the safety requirements, but then working with them to actually implement them, that'll contribute to that positive culture as well. Definitely. And I think it's good for the manager to be aware that occupational violence can take a toll on their staff. And even though you may feel that some form of aggression or an incident might not have been a big deal to you, just be aware that to some other people, it may have taken a bit of a toll on them and they may require debriefing. They may require you to you know, encourage them to have support or counselling because we know that ongoing stress at work can affect our emotional, physical, spiritual and social wellbeing. Sometimes receptionists might say, well, you know, I'm putting a lot of effort in being professional, being nice, but they're still being rude. How can I cope with this? Tracy, what advice would you give those receptionists? What I taught myself actually was the first thing is don't take it personally. And we just got to remember that these people are just venting their frustrations and it really has nothing to do with you at the end of the day. We don't know what has happened in their day leading up to this. And it is okay to be assertive. If you feel confident in your ability to be able to be assertive without you know, coming across rude or aggressive back, then you know, sometimes the need warrants you to be able to be assertive. And you might just say, Sally, you make me feel uncomfortable when you threaten me like that. I just want to work together with you to solve this problem. Using her name is building that quick rapport with her and just saying, what your behaviour is making me feel like this, but this is what I want us to do instead. And the last thing that I think is really important too, and this has taken me a lot of practice, take it on as a challenge. So I can either choose to let this affect me in a negative way, or I can actually use it to empower me. And the first time this ever happened to me, it just made me feel, wow, that is amazing. And it feels a lot better than looking at it in a negative way. And I'll give you an example. When I worked in a high acute child and adolescent mental health unit, and a lot of times the aggression would actually come from the parents. And parents would bring their poor children in and they would just be quite emotive and would come across quite aggressive. And so I would take them into a side room and just have a talk with them. And my goal in my head was like, right, at the end of this, I'm going to turn these people around from being angry at me to actually wanting to work with me. And I love taking that challenge on. And, you know, the first thing I would do was say, do you want a cup of tea? It just makes people feel like, okay, they're not better than I am. We're on the same level if she wants to make me a cup of tea. And most of the time they say, oh, no, it's okay. But just offering them that, it just goes such a long way. And then I validate their feelings and I say, look, you know, this must be really difficult for you. Tell me all about it. So just spending that time getting them to express 
what's going on for them and letting them know they're in a safe space. And usually they'll either start crying or they're just so thankful that someone actually cares. So just to bring that all together, helping receptionists, we've given them advice about being positive, but if it's not working, then your tips are don't take it personally. It's okay to be assertive and then perhaps take it on as a challenge to move someone from being really aggressive to actually someone that you can communicate effectively with. That's really valuable. Thank you. You're welcome. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. Till next time, goodbye and be kind to each other.